The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. This summer we've been working through the book of Galatians, and what we've learned in this book and what we've learned throughout this series is that all of Scripture can actually be divided up into two main types of teachings, or, or two words, and those words are, are simply known as law and, and gospel, and each one of these teachings and each one of these words is, is very important, and it's critical that we understand that this is not the case of one of these being good while the other is bad. Because it's very easy for us to fall into this trap of thinking that the law is bad and the gospel is good. Now, now certainly it's true that the gospel is good. In fact, many times when when we as followers of Jesus, when we actually explain what the gospel is, when we go to describe that to someone, we'll actually refer to it as being the the good news of Jesus Christ. And and there's this thing in in many of us, maybe maybe in all of us, that when we hear the word law, we tend to think of rules and, and maybe we feel like, you know, rules are meant to be broken, or rules are all about power and control, or that that somehow rules are bad. So it's very easy to to make the mistake of thinking that the law is bad and the gospel is good. Instead, though, what we found throughout this series is that, that God actually uses both of these two words, both law and gospel, to help expose the fact that that all of us are sinners and all of us are in need of a Savior, and that is exactly why God has given to us the gift of a Savior in Jesus Christ. Now, now last week, Pastor Tony, if you were with us, he he took us through Galatians chapter 4, and he helped to remind us that, that our hope of heaven someday... That's not because of Jesus and anything else. That that our hope of heaven is simply because of what Jesus has done for each of us. That it's simply because of Jesus alone. And that brings us today to to Galatians chapter 5. So take out your Bibles. Open them up to Galatians chapter 5. If you're using one of the Bibles in the seat back in front of you, you can find this beginning on page 1815. Now, the book of Galatians is actually a letter. It was written by uh, the Apostle Paul to an entire group of churches that were located just north of the, the Mediterranean Sea. Actually, they were located in a region of the world that we would now think of today as, as the nation of Turkey. And, and this letter written by the Apostle Paul, uh, was very, he, he was a man who was very passionate about helping people to understand the difference between these two words, law and gospel. Because as many of you know, the Apostle Paul was actually uh, born and raised as a Jew and as a follower of Judaism. And, and Judaism is a very law-based, it's a very, very rules-based religion. And not only was the Apostle Paul a follower or a, a, a person in that religion, but he was actually a leader. He was a Pharisee in Judaism. And then later in life, he became a follower of Jesus and a Christian. And so he understood both sides and both of these two words extremely well. And so he writes this letter to this group of Jewish Christians who, who do believe that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. But at the very same time, they had grown up learning and knowing and and believing the law of Moses. And so they were struggling to figure out how to actually bring together these these two different ideas of law and gospel that on the surface many times appear to actually contradict each other. 
Because they had grown up thinking that, you know, in order to please God, maybe I've got to jump this high or or maybe I've got to duck real low. Maybe I've got to run real fast or, or maybe it's about crawling really slow. That in order to please God, I've got to do all these different things in order to make God happy with me. But, but now I hear that I'm forgiven. Now, now I've learned that I actually have a Savior who, who died for my sins. So what then am I supposed to do with the law? What am I supposed to do with all these things that I've believed and that I've been taught ever since I was a child? And so it's into all of those questions and confusion that the Apostle Paul writes this letter. So that the Galatian Christians, and so that all of us, so that we can understand how it is that God uses both law and gospel in our lives each day. And that's where we pick up today in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, when he says this. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now, for us, when we hear that word freedom, when somebody tells us that that we've been set free, for many of us, it immediately conjures up pictures and and memories, things of like being 16 and being given your driver's license and getting behind the wheel of the car all by yourself for that very first time and thinking, you know, there's a lot of numbers on that speedometer that I've never experienced before. I wonder what it would be like to just kind of go through all of them. See, there's that sense in all of us where being told that we're free, being told that we've been given this gift of freedom means that we have the ability to to, to break the rules, to do whatever it is that, that we want to do or whatever it is that we think we can actually get away with doing. And that is exactly how some of these people that the Apostle Paul was writing to, how they were thinking and feeling as well. They were thinking, now that I'm free, that means I don't have to be nice to anyone anymore. Now that I'm free, that means I don't have to worry about all those things I was told I should or shouldn't do when I was a child. Because because I can sin all that I want because I'm, I'm going to heaven when I die. After all, Jesus died for my sins. But meanwhile, there was a whole other group of people saying, you know, I don't think it's quite like that. I think the rules are the rules, and the law is the law. And so it's into that tension that the Apostle Paul writes. It's in between those two different ideas and thoughts that the Apostle Paul connects what appears to be Two very contradictory ideas. And at the same time, it's also in chapter 5 where the Apostle Paul takes this whole conversation, which up until this time has been very heady and very theological and very theoretical, and he actually pulls it all in and, and puts it together in an incredibly practical way. And he does that right in the middle of chapter 5 when he writes these words to us in verse 13, and he says, You, my brothers and sisters... We're called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. In other words, he says, don't be like that college freshman who goes away to school and is away from home for the very first time. Don't use your freedom in that way. Why? Because the Apostle Paul understood 
that there really is, there really can be a very dark side, a very downside to freedom. And you don't have to be a Christian to know that there is, in fact, in all of us, a, a sinful nature. Now, if you're not a Christian, you may not think about it in those terms. But you understand exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying, right? Because it's that thing inside of you. That, that compels you to do exactly what you know you should not do, but because nobody is watching or looking, or because you know you're not going to get caught, you simply end up doing it anyway. And so the Apostle Paul says to us, don't do that with this gift of freedom that you've been given because, and this is so incredibly subtle, and yet this is also so, so incredibly important for us to understand because freedom, freedom isn't simply freedom from, but it's also freedom for. See, it's also freedom to. That the way that God actually views freedom is as a stewardship. It's a gift that's been given to us by God for a purpose. And the Apostle Paul, he actually tells us exactly what that purpose is in the next part of this verse. He says, rather, or in other words, in contrast to what I just told you about, rather serve one another in love. And to serve simply means this, when you see a need, meet it. And when there's something that needs to be done, then do it. When you see a need, meet it. And when there's something that needs to be done, do it. Not because you have to, but simply because I see that there's a need, and so I want to meet that need. I see that something actually needs to be done, and so I want to be the one who gets it done. See, the Apostle Paul says to us, do you know what God actually wants you to do? with the freedom that he's given to you, it's not self-indulgence. In fact, it's actually the self-indulgence of freedom that always, always leads to the elimination of freedom. He says, the person who is most free is actually the person who asks themselves the question, how can I use my freedom for the sake of those around me? How can I use my freedom to benefit someone else? Because when you have all that you need in Christ, see, then you really are truly free to give with absolutely no strings attached. Because true freedom True freedom isn't about finding the edge of the law and seeing how close can I get to that without going over. See, instead, true freedom asks the question, as someone who has actually been freed by Christ himself, how is it that I can use my freedom to benefit those around me? Not what do I have to do, but what am I able to do? And then look at what he says to us next in verse 14. He says, the entire law, so not just the Ten Commandments, but actually he means the entire book of Leviticus. The entire law, he says, is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
That one simple statement could actually sum up the totality of more than 600 different individual laws and and rules. And the command, it wasn't a can't do. It was a I am free to do. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do you do that? He says very simply, you serve. It's not about feeling a certain emotion. It's not about waiting for some kind of change to take place in that other person's heart. It's not even trying to create some kind of a feeling in your own heart. He says the whole law is summed up in that single one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. What does that look like? He says, serve one another. When you see a need, meet it. And when there's something that needs to be done, Do it. Because freedom isn't simply freedom from. But it's also freedom for. It's also freedom to. And then listen to what he says next in the next verse. Because he reminds us. See, we don't have to do this. Because we're actually not under the law. And he's not making a a new rule or giving us a new command that he expects us to follow. He says, you can choose not to serve if if you want to. You You can choose to use your freedom to simply indulge yourself if you want. But if you do that, he says, watch out. Because what he says next was actually an incredibly strong warning to the Galatian Christians. And it should be a strong warning to every single one of us today. Because what he says next, it applies to all of us in every single circumstance of life. It applies to us individually, it applies to us at our jobs, it applies to us in our homes and our families, it applies to us in our neighborhoods. In fact, I would even argue that this is what we are seeing play out in our nation right now. Because this verse has huge implications for us as a country. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, he says, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. See, the Apostle Paul says, you don't have to serve. You can keep trying to convince and convict and coerce and threaten and complain. You can do all that if you want. You can keep indulging that part, that part of you that says, you know, it's my way or the highway. You can, you can run your relationships that way if you want to. But if you bite and devour each other, he says, eventually, you'll destroy one another. Think about it this way. Put this into the context that he gives us in verse 13. If I continue to serve myself, see, then eventually I will be all by myself. If I continue to serve myself, and it's certainly within me to do that just like it is you, If I continue to serve myself, then eventually I may be all by myself. Now, maybe not physically, but but maybe physically. Certainly emotionally. 
In fact, some of you here today would say, you know what, that is exactly my situation. That is exactly the situation I'm in right now. I live in a house that's filled with people, but we've all built our own homes, our own walls, our own roofs, our own little kingdoms, all under the same roof, and I feel completely alone. Even though I am surrounded by people all the time. And see, the Apostle Paul is warning us, and he's saying, That is exactly what happens when we take the freedom that God has given to us in and through Jesus Christ and we use it and we steward it unwisely. If we continue to ignore the needs of those people around us that we know we can meet, if we continue to say yes to ourselves, over and over and over again. If all I do is simply serve myself, then eventually I will be all by myself. Now for some of you, you would say that phrase, bite and devour, that phrase actually paints a pretty good picture of maybe a certain portion of your life. For others of you, you would say, you know what, that phrase, that actually describes life for me right now. Because in all your attempts to get what you want, you realize that what you're getting is not what you want. In all your attempts to have life your way, what you are getting is certainly not life your way. And see, the Apostle Paul says to us, the way out of all of that, the way out of that biting and devouring of those people around you, it's not a feeling, it's not an emotion, he says. It's not even waiting until I can forgive them for what it is that they have done to me. It's simply using your freedom to serve. Even when the ones that you're serving are not on the same page as you are. Because, see, God actually does something in our hearts when we use the freedom that he has given to us to serve those around us. And the Apostle Paul is warning us. He's saying, there is this thing inside each of us. There is this thing in me. There is this thing in me that that if I allow it to, it will wreck my marriage. It'll wreck my relationship with my kids. It'll wreck my relationships with those people that are closest and most dear to me. There is this thing inside each of us that if we simply allow it to do, what it wants to do is going to result in things happening in our lives that that we never want to see happen in our lives. And serving is one of the ways that God uses to get a hold of this thing in all of us so that we can actually live in and live out of the freedom that God himself has given to us in Christ. Not simply freedom from, but also freedom for, freedom to. Now, Whenever we talk about a subject like this, 
the question that's always in the back of everyone's mind is this one. How far do I really have to take this? See, because right now what's happening is you're thinking about this situation in your life, and what you're thinking is, you know, if you only knew. If you only knew about the situation in my life. In fact, if I could actually tell everyone my story right now, if everyone could actually hear what's been happening to me, what they have done to me, then they would say, there is no way that you need to serve that other person. And so at some point, every single one of us, we all want to know, when do I get a pass? When is the situation so big and so hurtful and so crazy that this doesn't apply to me? Now, it's as I was thinking about this question that I was actually reminded of this moment. Because, see, this is actually the moment that takes this whole conversation and just brings it into an incredible perspective. And because we celebrate communion together so often and so frequently, it's very easy for us to actually miss the context of this incredible event. See, Jesus is at the very end of his ministry. And he spent the last three years with this small group of men. And he's gathered them together in this upper room for one final meal. These are the men that he's taught and mentored, the men that he's lived with, the men that he's laughed with and cried with. It's the men that he's provided for and cared for. It's the men that that know him better than anyone else. And so he's there in that upper room with this guy named Judas who's going to betray him. And he knows it. And right next to Judas is is another guy named Peter who's going to deny him. And Jesus knows that too. And then surrounding them are ten other guys, all of which are going to abandon Jesus. And he knows all of that. And so there he is. With the betrayer and the denier and all the cowards. And this is what we read in John chapter 13, verse 2. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Now Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power that he had come from God and was returning to God. So again, picture this whole event in your mind. Imagine that you're actually in this upper room with these 12 people, and you know that one of these men is actually going to betray you, and you're going to end up being crucified because of it. And this other guy who's who's claimed to be your closest friend is going to deny you publicly, not once, but three different times. And those other ten there, they are all going to abandon you in your time of greatest need. You know everything that's about to happen. You know what everyone is going to say, and you know what every single person is going to do. And you also know that God has given you all power and all authority. Authority over everything. What would you do? 
Verse 4. So, meaning with all of that in mind, Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. In the moment when all power and all authority was his, and Jesus was absolutely free, free to do whatever it is that he wanted to with the traitors and the rebels in the room, he chooses to wash their feet. Now listen to how Jesus himself, he actually interprets this event for us over in verse number 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Do you know what he did for them? He gathered together with the betrayers and the deniers and the cowards, and he served. And then a few hours later, he hung on a cross, and he died for their betrayal, their denial, and their cowardice. People of faith, our world is in the middle of biting and devouring itself right before our very eyes. And the only hope that this world has, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel of freedom in and through Jesus. Freedom to love and to serve in his name. And you are the ones. See, you are the ones that God has chosen to use to go out into this ever-increasingly hopeless world and bring a message of hope. Bring a message of love. Bring a message of forgiveness. Now, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be starting a brand new sermon series together. You heard Pastor Tony tell us about it last weekend. And as pastors, we are so incredibly excited uh, about the series that we're going to be in together for the month uh, of August. Because throughout the course of this month, you're going to have the chance to actually hear from the people and the ministries and the congregations and the churches that so for so many years you have helped to serve and care for and to support, some of which you may not even be aware of. And during the course of this series, we're going to challenge you. And I'll be, I'll be up front with you. I'll tell you the challenge right, right now. We're going to challenge every single one of you 
Because as a church, we want to dramatically increase our impact that God has given to us to actually bring Christ to people and build Christ followers all throughout this world. And so we are going to challenge you in the month of August that every single person in our worshiping congregation, that, that's 13 or 1,400 different people every single weekend. And so we're going to challenge every single one of you that over the course of the next 12 months that each of you would be involved in serving, that each of you would be involved in taking the mission of the gospel outside of these four walls in some way. It could be as simple as you actually making a meal in your own home which will end up being delivered to a family in need. In fact, we will even supply you with the ingredients and the recipe that you need to make it. Or it could be actually going into another country with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and telling people who do not know Jesus about, as their Savior about who Jesus is and what it is that he has done for all of us. Now, there are many of you there are many of you who, who have done so many of these things, but still, there are many more of you that haven't. Because you don't know how, you don't know where, and you don't know what to do. And that's why we're going to take the entire month of August to help you figure that out. And I will be the first one to say, I am not smart enough to know how to solve all the problems that plague our world. I'm not even smart enough to know how to solve all the problems that plague our little corner of the world. But I know the one who is. And he is the one who is telling us that we should go and do for others what he has done for us. And so that is exactly what we're going to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Father, thank you so much for your Son. Thank you for the fact that while, while we were still sinners, that it's in that moment that you actually sent your Son, Jesus, into our lives. Father, it doesn't, even, it doesn't seem imaginable that you could actually love us that much, and yet that is exactly what you've done. Jesus, thank you so much for your willingness to love us and to serve us when we certainly did not deserve to be loved, when we certainly did not deserve for you to serve us. Father, for us, I, I, I pray two things. I pray that for each of us uh, personally, that you would bring into our minds and our hearts right now in this moment that person or maybe that group of people that individual that you have called us individually and uniquely to serve, that we would serve them and love them in your name. And Father, I also pray for us as a church that you would help us to see the people around us, the people who desperately need to know that you are a God of love, that you have given to us a son, a savior, that your spirit is alive and at work in our world, and that he lives in us. That, Father, that through us, the people of our world will actually see Jesus. Father, I ask that you do whatever needs to be done 
in my heart, in our hearts, in this church, so that we may serve this world, and especially this community, in Jesus' name. And Father, for all of us, I pray that in these next few moments, that you would hear us as we personally and silently confess our sin to you. Father, you tell us plainly in your word that you are faithful, that you are just, and you tell us that when we confess our sin to you, when we bring our sin and we lay it at your feet, that you are faithful to forgive us in and through your son Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection on the cross. And so as far as the east is from the west, That is how far your heavenly Father has removed your sin from you. And so I tell you that each of you, you are truly forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen.